Hey, I want you to bear with me uh, this morning because I'm, I'm going to, I'm, a, I'm kind of a three-point kind of a, a guy, right? I've been doing this for, this is our 30th year to be in ministry, as a matter of fact, 30 years, three decades. And, and I am, I, I'm a kind of a three-points kind of a person. That's just the way, you know, I, I communicate, the way God has, has kind of helped me communicate. And so I'm going to get to those three points in a, in a bit, okay? Just so you got to stay with me. So for you three-point people that are waiting, you got your notes ready, you're like, oh, I want point number one. We're going to get there, all right? We're going to get there. But I just got to build a context, all right? I got to build a context for where we're going. And, and this message is, is this, someone said, how long has it taken you to prepare this message? Or how long have you been thinking about this message? For, the, the reality is about 20 years. And I've not really preached this message like this, and, and there's just something that's been gnawing on me for a while, and, and it comes from something that happened. I'm going to share the story. About, this happened about 20 years ago. I'm going to share it in a little bit. But I want, to, I want to start with this. I'm going to start with this thought, okay? Um, there have been many speeches by great leaders in regards to their vision or their purpose or their, their dreams. Um, one's Abraham Lincoln back in 1863 stood at a place called Gettysburg. How many of you have ever heard of that one? That speech that Abraham Lincoln gave is called the Gettysburg Address. Famous speech in American history. And he voiced really what his desire was and what he believed was God's best for this nation. Part, portion, of that, portion of that goes like this. is that, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and the government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth. Abraham Lincoln Vision, he said, this is what I believe the vision for America in the future, what it looks like. Another president, President Kennedy, 1962, stood at Rice University. And he talked about vision in regards to America and America accomplishing something great, going to the moon. Here's what he said. I, I love this. He says, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Don't you love that? How many of you know that dream came true? We, within a decade, America, it's called the space race between Russia and the Soviet Union. We, we, we beat the Soviets to the moon, put a man on the moon. Just an incredible accomplishment. Another great speech in regards to vision happened in Washington, D.C. in 1963 by Dr. Martin Luther King. Famous, famous speech concerning his vision. portion of that goes this way. It says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Great, great speech. And how many of you realize and how many of you know the only way that really all of these could ever happen is with the grace and the help of God? Can somebody say amen to that? And there have been other great speeches, even, even internationally, there have been great speeches in, in, in regards to vision. But have you ever considered, have you ever considered that Jesus has a dream? Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered that Jesus really gave a I have a dream speech while he was here on the earth. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, came and he, he came to accomplish some great things, but he also came to establish that indeed he has a dream. And he did. He gave this speech in regards to his dream. And it, and it wasn't in a great hall and it wasn't in a stadium and it wasn't in front of thousands of people. Actually, it was right outside of a small city and it was with 12 individuals that if we were choosing a great team, we probably wouldn't have chosen these 12. So Jesus is standing outside of the city and he stops and he looks at his crowd of 12 and he says this. He said, what are people saying about me? You know that Jesus asked people a lot of questions, right? 
You, you study the Gospels, read the Gospels. Jesus was continually asking questions. And why would Jesus do that? It's not that he didn't know the answer. It's, it's, he wanted people to understand the value or the importance of looking on the inside. Because in order to answer a question in truthfulness, you have to look on the inside. Can somebody say inside? God wants us to live a life where we're living from the inside out, where we're paying attention to what's happening on the inside. And so that's one of the reasons that Jesus asked questions. And it wasn't that he was weak or he was fragile and he didn't know who he was when he asked the question, what are people saying about me? But he just wanted to know where people were at. And so his disciples start, began to give a variety of answers. Some said, you're a prophet. Others said that you, you're a just good person. And I like Peter. Peter's over there. And he was probably like that kid in an elementary class that when the teachers asked the question, he's raising his hand. He's going, ooh, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so, so Jesus points at Peter and he says, Peter, give it your best shot. And Peter said, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting on. You're the one that we've been wanting. You're the one that's been sent by God. We know that. I know that. And I love what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing it. Peter, you're not that smart. There's somebody that helped you with that one. That's my father, which is in heaven. Now, this is when Jesus declared his dream. This is when Jesus gave his I've got a dream speech. Are you ready for this? In my mind, I see him after he responds to Peter. He, 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 looks, he looks up and he looks out into, to, to, looking out at the, the earth. You know, he's looking out into space almost. He's looking and he says this. He said, I tell you that, Peter, on this rock, and here's, here's, here's the vision. I will build my church. This is my dream. Jesus is saying, this is my dream. Watch this. Watch this. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. That was Jesus. I have a dream speech. It was short, wasn't that long, but he gave, this, he gave the speech, and again, the speech was this. I believe the day is coming when my church, I will build my church, watch this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. So it was a prophetic utterance. It was, a, it was a prophetic prediction that he made. But what was the vision? What was he seeing when he looked into the future? What was Jesus uh, predicting? Well, what he was seeing was what we know if you study, you study the Bible and you break it down in the Greek. What he was seeing was the ecclesia. When he said church, he was seeing the ecclesia. And what that, the Greek word for church is the first time that term has ever been used in the Bible up to that point. And so Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. But what Jesus was seeing, according to Scripture was not just buildings and not just organization and structure. What Jesus was seeing was a gathering of people. He was seeing a gathering. He's looking in the future. He's seeing a gathering of people, listen to me, that was gathering not just for the sake of gathering, but were gathered around a purpose or a cause. Are you with me? So, so Jesus is seeing people that were gathering, and they're not just a crowd milling around. They are a crowd that's gathered around a purpose, and that, that crowd of people, he's looking to the future. That crowd of the church is moving forward. There is resistance. He's saying, he's seeing that. He said, but that resistance is futile because this people gathered around this purpose is a force that will not be stopped. That's what Jesus was saying. Are you with me this morning? 
Now, how many of you know there are certain things that Jesus said that he didn't really explain in the moment? I'll give you one. There was a point where Jesus said, um, uh, when I'm lifted up from the the earth, I'm going to draw people to me. How many have ever heard that one? And sometimes I'm not... I'm not, you know, hating on anybody that has used it in this, this context, but sometimes we use that in praise and worship, right? In other words, if we'll just lift up the name of Jesus and he's going to draw people. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about the kind of death that he was going to die. So Jesus made that statement. It stood there in the Gospels. But years later, there was this gentleman by the name of Paul that came along, and he clarified what Jesus meant by that. Because he made statements like this. When Jesus hung on the cross, when Jesus was lifted up, listen to me, his death, or he tasted the death for who? Every man. So that explanation came a little bit later. So here, here in when Jesus made this, I have a dream speech, he didn't really say much beyond that. But later, the same gentleman that I mentioned earlier, his name was Saul, that's his, his birth given name. Later became Paul. He was a Pharisee after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, stay with me. I told you to hang with me. I'm, I'm, build, I'm going somewhere, but you got to stay with me, right? So, so he, he is a Pharisee. Let me just sit it, it this way. He's an up-and-coming Pharisee, right? And, and, and so you have the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the launching of the church, the New Testament church in Acts 2. And so he, he, he is living during the Acts 2 time, Right? And, and, and so, so he is determined that he is convinced that this church thing, this Jesus followers, that they are all a bunch of nuts, right? That they're a bunch of crazies. And this little movement that has gotten started, uh, it will be stopped. And he was determined, given the authority by his elders, that he could help stop this movement. Now, what did Jesus say? Right? When he gave the I have a dream speech, he said, I'm telling you, the gates of hell are going to come across it, and it's not, going to, it's not going to stop them. Right? And so Saul, he's going along one day, and actually he's going to persecute some Christians to stop this thing. And uh, he has, I love this, he had to come to me, uh, meeting Jesus with Jesus. Huh? You know what I'm talking about. So he has this come to meeting. Everybody know what I mean by I come to meeting Jesus, you know. Is, but he had it with Jesus. Gets knocked off his donkey, laying on his back. And, 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 and so he's like, what has happened? I'm paraphrasing it. What has happened to me? And so Jesus speaks to him and said, Saul, why are you resisting? Why are you kicking against what's going on? And he asked another question. He said, why are you persecuting me? There's something that clicked in this young man's mind. You know what clicked? That there is a connection between Jesus and people that have confessed Jesus is Lord and Savior. It is a connection because he had, never met, he had never met Jesus, but yet Jesus said, when you drag that woman out or you drag that man out of the house and begin to beat them so they will reject the movement that I've started, not only, not only are you affecting them, that touches me because I'm connected to them. Here's the good news. When you ask Jesus to be your Savior, you allowed him into your life. Listen to me. You are connected to Jesus. You will never be more connected to him than you are right now. Can somebody say amen to that? So he had that understanding right off the bat. He was like, oh, there's a connection. And then a little bit later, he has this other, he has this other revelation. He's like, wait a second. So they're all connected. 
And so how can I describe this? How can, he's Paul's thinking, how can I describe what this connection looks like? Oh, I know. One of the ways that I can describe it is that we're like the, we are the body of Christ. Oh, wait, wait, we're the body of Christ. But watch this. Jesus is the head. So where is Jesus? Well, Jesus, the head, is in heaven. But where's his body? His body is in the earth. His people that here connect to because you can't connect, you can't disconnect, or it wouldn't be good, to disconnect the head from the body, right? Stay with me. All right, so he says, he says, um, he, he says the, 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 the head and the body, so the body is in the earth. So listen, when Jesus said, I will build my church, watch this. He was seeing, or he was saying, me, I'm going to build the church. Watch this, you know what he was seeing? He was seeing we. Are you with me? He said, I'm going to build my church. But what he was seeing was not Jesus building his church, like hands-on building it. He was seeing the future. He was seeing the body of Christ that Jesus was the head of, that he would be the head of. And in the earth, his body, his people would be building his church. Can somebody get a little bit excited just about that part? Watch this. And, the, and the, 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 the gathering of people that Jesus was seeing in his I have a dream speech, the gathering, the church that he was seeing, listen, wasn't just a gathering of people just milling around. Watch this. They were a force to be reckoned with. They were a force that all of hell itself could not stop on the earth. Listen to me. This is what you are a part of today. Can somebody say amen to this? Are, are, did I just do okay with that explanation? I'm glad because I worked real hard to get it out. But it looks so complicated sometimes. You read the Bible like, oh my God, it's so complicated. It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. But, but, but let's, let's, peel, let's, let's peel it back a little bit. I have a dream speech when Jesus said, the church is going to move forward in the gates of hell not going to stop it because it's a force. Let's, 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 let's examine that a little bit. So what you have is just people that have a relationship with God and also have a relationship with one another. That, that are gathered around the purpose of God to move forward with his plan and purpose on the earth. Are you following this? So relationship between God... And everybody has a relationship this way with God, his believers, his followers. But then we also have another layer of relationships that go this way. That's the reason we have gatherings on Sunday mornings. It's not just to have a gathering. Let me, let me just say something. You guys are probably going to go, oh, my God. I can't believe he just said that. But listen to me. It is not the will of God just to come to church. not it's Timmy it's the will of God to be the church there is a vast difference so it's it's this 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 these relationships it's this vertical one and here here I'm getting to my points here here we go something has been bothering me and here's what something that something is we tell people all the time all the time this is this is our pitch right to becoming a Christian a believer we, tell, we say this all the time. 
You just need a relationship with God. Because if you have a relationship with God, your life will never be the same. And how many of you know that is true? That's absolutely the truth. But the problem that we're having is that when Jesus was on the earth, he would point to natural things to explain spiritual things called parables. And, and so Paul would do the same thing, the body of Christ, to explain what this thing looks like, right? Um, he also says things like that a husband, should, a husband should love his wife like what? Christ what? Loves or you want to get technical, loves well, who? Him. Because he makes up the church. Are you following me? Talking about relationships. Got to need a relationship with God. But, but, but listen to me. If this relationship with God, this relationship is not working right, these relationships are not going to work right. If this relationship with God's not working right, then though we're meant to be part of a force, we will be weak and insignificant. If this one's not working right, because these won't be right. These won't be strong. So when we say you need a relationship with God, sir, ma'am, you need a relationship with God. The question is, what do people have to look at to say, oh, I get what a relationship with God is like? Are you following me? When, and I'm not being mean here, I understand these things happen, I, I do, okay? Over 50% of marriages are failing, throwing in the towel. So we can't necessarily go, okay, having a relationship with God is like a marriage when the majority of marriages are failing. Listen to me. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. You don't have to be right all the time. You can be right all the time or married all the time, but you can't be both. Quit. It is not a competition. Marriage is not a competition. Marriage is a covenant. Fight for your marriage. It's worth it. God wants you to win, not just so you can win and be happy and have kids. But God compares, his word compares a relationship with him to what? A marriage. Some of you are like, I wish I would have come on another day. Hey, <laughs> Pastor Josh be back next week, all right? I'll be out of here, all right? A lot of people today, there's a trend that says people are not even getting married. It's not, don't make a covenant. Don't make the commitment because why? Because probably because they were part of a broken one. Friends on social media. Ah! You know what I'm talking about? Friends. We call them friends. Oh, I've got a bunch of friends. Where are they? Facebook. Oh, yeah. you got some really good friends, right? <laughs> Listen to me. The world is constantly defining and redefining relationships. Listen. Demonize. Demonize. It's evil to embrace the nuclear family. It's not popular today to say, yeah, we believe in the nuclear family. A husband, a man, a woman, a wife coming together, that creates, that's God's plan for the family. It's not popular. But I don't care about popular. I 
care about what's righteous in God's eyes. Can somebody say amen to that? Talking about what? We're talking about relationships. Talking about relationships. So you can say, oh, these, what's the big deal, Pastor John? Just new times, the way it is. Listen to me. Could it be that? Watch this. Or could it be a tactic of the enemy? I think it's the latter. I think it's a tactic of the enemy, and I believe sometimes we're not connecting the dots. That this is happening, and there's been such an attack on relationships. And, and then the enemy over here going... Now, here's the story I told you about. This happened, this person told me a story about 20 years ago. We were living in Scotland, and uh, Colin, who's a friend of mine, um, attended a church there. And so, um, what was his name? The, the evangelist. The, Billy Graham. How could you forget Billy Graham, right? Uh, Billy Graham. <laughs> Billy Graham came to Glasgow and did one of his big crusades, and of course they recruited local churches to, 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 to supply the volunteer base and the volunteer group to, to help pull this thing off. So Colin was assigned to be a, an altar worker on the field. So Billy Graham got up and he preached this message, and of course, classic altar call. People start flooding, flooding out of the stands onto the, the, the they call it the pitch because it was in a big soccer field, onto the field. And, and, and so Colin said, I'm just standing here. And he said, I see this young lady. She's walking towards me. There's just people everywhere. We, we make eye contact. And he said, I know she's coming towards me. So I know I'm going to be able to minister to this girl. She's got tears in her eyes. And, and as, as she gets close, he, he, he greets her. And then as he was trained, he asked this question. He said, do you know the prayer that you just prayed? Do you know what happened to you? And she's Tears in her eyes. She said, I'm not really sure what happened. She said, but I know I feel different, and I know I'm supposed to do it. I just feel so much different. He said, let me tell you what happened to you when you confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior. God became your Father. God became your Heavenly Father. And here's the part that that shook me when he told me this story. She steadied herself, and she stepped back, and she said, if God is anything like my Father, I don't want to have anything to do with him. The enemy won that round. Are you following me? Because of her experience with her father, when she heard father, what did she do? She related to what she had experienced. So we're telling people, hey, you got to have a relationship with God. Watch this. What are they doing? They're relating with their experiences. I believe that's one of the reasons people are not knocking the doors of the church down. Say, oh me, or oh my, or amen. (laughs) Or a combination of the three. Are you following me? This is a heavy message, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is timely. So Jesus, when Jesus came to the earth, it was a game changer. I'm getting my three points, I promise. It's a game changer. Certainly it's a game changer because he, he paid for our sins. Anything, anybody here thankful that Jesus paid for our sins? Oh, my gosh. Come on. Let's give it up for Jesus real quick. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Paid a debt. Yeah. Game changer for us. Amen? It was a game changer for uh, the fact that he established, came to establish this kingdom that we call it the kingdom of God, which the church is the face of the kingdom. It's the visible represent, representation of the kingdom of God. Amen. How many, how many are thankful that you're part of the kingdom? Amen. 
Thank you for the kingdom of God. But it was a game changer because he created access. When a hang-up that people have today, a lot of younger people have this hang-up. They're, they're going, like, oh, okay, I read the Bible. This Old Testament God and the New Testament God, they seem like two different gods. That's a hang-up for not giving God a chance. They're like, two different gods. What's up with that? Like they're just schizophrenic or something. Like God's the God of judgment and, you know, killing people and all this. And then, then you, you know, New Testament thing, you, you got love. Love your neighbors. Be nice to people. Pray for your enemies. Did he change? Did God change? No, he didn't change. Watch this, though. Access to him changed. Access. When Jesus came to the earth, Jesus said, well, you're looking at me? You're looking at the Father? Are you following this? So anytime you have access, you have the chance for intimacy. Anytime you have access, you have the chance for intimacy. So today, living on this side of the cross, we have a chance for intimacy with God, to know God as he really is. Jesus came to set the record straight. It's Satan that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life and to give it more abundantly. And you can know God now. Not as, he's not hung up in a temple somewhere. He's, he, he is going to give everybody the chance to have an intimate relationship because now we all have access to him. So the answer, the question is this. What is God really like? I've got three facets that I want to share with you this morning. Three facets. This is not an exhaustive message about God, but three that I want to share. Number one, God, listen to me, God wants to be your friend. God wants to be your friend. Watch this, John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. Watch this, but I've called you what? I've called you what? I've called you what? What? Friends. Oh, Jesus. Jesus didn't want to be my friend. He didn't know me. Jesus knows you, and he still wants to be your friend. <laughs> That's the great thing about Jesus. Everybody say, praise God for that. He knows you, and he still wants to be your, he still wants to be your friend. I'm not just called you servants, but I've called you friends. So the question is, what is a true friend really like? Well, a true friend, listen to me, will not bail on you. Everybody came to say this this morning. God will not bail on you. 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 He's not going anywhere. Jesus demonstrated this to his followers. His friends got in a boat. Storms got rough. I mean, listen to me. Jesus was at the front of the boat. He was taking a nap. When, when they woke him up, he could have walked on water and said, see ya. Right? I can do this God, this, this God thing. I'm going to walk on water. You're on your own. No, he got in there and he helped them deal with the storm. Listen to me. God's not going to bail on you in a storm because he wants to be like a friend to you. Can somebody get a little excited about that? He's not going to bail on you. He's not going to go anywhere. He's not afraid of your problems. He's not afraid of your hang-ups. He's not afraid. Because friends just stick with friends. They see your quirks. They see you messed up. They see your goofiness. And they're like, you still my friend. God's like. Proverbs 18.24 says, There are friends who pretend to be friends, but there is a friend that sticks closer in the brother. That's Jesus. That's God. A true friend believes in you. A true friend believes in you. 
How many have that kind of a friend that, that again, they, they see you, you, you made some stupid decision or what, or you may start doubting yourself and they go, no, 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 I believe in you. I believe in you. I, I believe in you. I believe you've got some great stuff to do. I believe you're, you're not a failure. Come on, man, get up. And that's the way God is. God is, is, that's part of the relationship that we have with God. Listen to me. A, a friend will not allow you to retreat. How many ever wanted to run from problems or run from circumstances or run from something that you didn't understand, but you had someone to go, no, no, you're not running anywhere. You're going to stand. We're going to deal with this. One time, Jesus told the disciples, this is after this first storm, Jesus said, all right, guys, get in the boat. We're going over the other side. You go back and study it in Matthew. You go back and study it, and Jesus had to get on them. They were like, hold up, Jesus. Do you not remember the last time we got in the boat and we got out there in the storm? You do not. You don't remember that? But Jesus said, get in the boat. Why? Because friends will help you face your fears. Listen to me. And they'll walk with you through it. It's the kind of friend God is. God does not want to rescue us out of everything, but he'll walk through everything with us. That's what a friend does. So here's the thing about friendship. Friendship is reciprocal. So the question is this. Are you just a friend of God? Are you friends to God? Oh, but, but God, didn't work out. God didn't work out this thing. I was praying and I was standing and I was believing. And I just thought, you know, God, I'm just going to go do my own thing. Don't bail on God. Be, listen to me. Be a friend to God. He's a friend to you. Watch this. That's what makes a relationship. If, if I was just going to try to be your friend, but I'm doing all the work and you're, it's not coming back, we don't have a relationship. There's no relationship there. But when I'm, I return that friendship, I, I treat you like a friend, what happens is that is how a friendship is made. That's the reason friends on Facebook really aren't friends Here's another, here's another facet that I want to talk to you about. He's your father. Now listen, this is where we've got to work really hard because the fatherhood has been so skewed in America today and, and many of us didn't have a great relationship as a father. I didn't have the best relationship. My dad wasn't abusive. He wasn't mean. My dad was a football coach. The only thing that we had in common was football. That was it. He never told me he loved me until I was 18 years old. But my dad did the best that he could do. And I know that. We've had many conversations. I'll call him on Father's Day. Hey, Dad, happy Father's Day. Son, I wish I'd have been a better father. Dad, don't say that anymore. You did the best that you could do. I've got a few wounds, but, you know, I'm okay. No, I'll just mess with him and have fun. We laugh. But he just did the best that he could do. But listen to me. God, your father, is the greatest father. He is the father that you've always dreamed of. And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. He's the father. That you've always dreamed of. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called what? Children, what? Of God. Watch this. And so we are. I was reason during praise and worship. I love that song set. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to be talking about a little bit. I love that. That we are. He could have chosen to identify us in many ways. 
But he chose to identify us as what? As, as, as his children. Listen to me. God chose to relate to you as his child. That's the reason when you make that confession of faith, the Bible says you are what? Born what? Born, born again. You are born to your what? Heavenly Father. You are born by your what? Heavenly Father. Now, here's what you have to understand about this. Listen to me. Listen. There is nothing that can change that. Nothing can change the fact that you belong to God when you confess Him as your Savior. Nothing. His love is infinite, and His commitment to be your Father is infinite. Some of you need to hear that. Why, you don't know the kind of person I'm being. It doesn't matter. Let me just say this we have two beautiful girls. Um, I'll never forget the first time that we were, we were in the bathroom with our, our, our uh, sus, we, we suspected that we, Sandy was expecting. So we're in there looking at the little, little test thing. And I see that little plus coming in there. And we were like, glory to God. This is awesome. And we celebrated. It was, it was, I was a little bit nervous a little bit later because we found out it was a girl. And I'm the oldest of three boys. Have, had no idea what to do with girls. But my wife helped me figure that out. But, but at that moment, just this, listen to me. I could have walked away. I could have walked away and said, I, hey, sorry, I'm just, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this fatherhood thing. But you know what? If I would have done that, that would not have changed the fact that my DNA is not still in my girls. So you, you, can do, you can run from God. If you confess Jesus is your Savior, you can run from God. Listen to me. And that does not change that his spiritual DNA has not stamped you as his child. Amen? Amen. So he's your father. So the question is this. How how do I know he's my father? In other words, what kind of evidence is there in my life that he's my father? And the question, the answer is this. It's your trust. How much do you trust him? How much do you trust God your father? Because the truth is, as children, watch this, as children, children trust their father. They've got this thing when they're younger. It's only as you get older you become more cynical. It's only as you get older that you, you, get, you begin to doubt more and question more. But when you're young, you just believe, my dad can do anything. So the girls, when the girls were younger and we, we were, we were uh, in the living room one day and, and we were just kind of going through the channels and... And, and, and I think it was, uh, uh, I, had the, I had the channel change, man, we just going through, and I was probably looking for a football game, whatever, going through, and we hit the Spanish channel. And so there, there were probably like seven, eight, then, maybe nine, maybe a little lower. Uh, we hit the Spanish channel, and, and they, go, they go, Dad, what are they saying? So there's no subtitle on it. Dad, what are they saying? And I'm like, okay, here's my chance. This is like golden moment right here. And, and so it was a scene where, where, where there was a woman um, that was in the, um, in the hospital room. The, the man was in the bed, and, 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 and there's nurses around. And it looked like, you know, there's a dire situation. And, and I said, so they're, they're talking. I said, so what, what's going on is that, that there's really, really sick. The one in the bed is just very, very sick and about, about to die. And, and then the other one um, that's standing over to the, to the left, he said, he just said that, 
that um, he's, he's in love with another woman and he's about to leave. And, and the girls are going, the girls are going, that is horrible. How could he do that? And I was just, you know, going on and on. I don't understand a word they're saying, but I'm just telling them this. So every once in a while, they would go, Dad, turn over the Spanish channel and translate for us. So I'd go over there, and I would just pretend like I knew what they were saying. They just loved it. I mean, they just loved it. And it all was going very well until my oldest daughter started taking Spanish. <laughs> and I did it one day, and, of course, I blew it. You know, I wasn't even factoring in that she's taking Spanish. She's, she was saying, wait, 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 Dad, wait, Dad. That's not what they just said. I understood a couple of those little words there. And she said, Dad, you don't know Spanish, do you? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't know any Spanish, so. <laughs> That's not good parenting, but anyway, it sure was fun. And now, I'm, now, now i got grandbabies, so it's round two, everybody. It's round two. <laughs> Have a blast. But here's my point. They believed me because I was their dad. Again, that's not great parenting. But anyway, <laughs> my point is, how much do you really trust God? Listen, listen, listen to what the scripture says. Matthew 18, 2, 2 and 3 says, uh, And calling, him, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn, repent, watch this, and become like what? You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven or really experience the influence of God. So how much do you trust him? Do you trust him like a child? Here's my final facet. He's Lord. That, that's, that's, that's another part of God, what he's like. It's a part of Jesus and what he's like. He's, he's Lord. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, But set Christ apart as what? Lord in your hearts. In other words, set him apart as Lord in your in your hearts, and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. Listen, far too often we accept Jesus as our Savior, but we don't allow him to be our Lord. It's two different things. Because Jesus being our Savior is accepting what he's done for us. Jesus being our Lord is what we're willing to do for him. So Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my Savior. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt either one. But the question that you've got to answer and be truthful and honest, is he your Savior and your Lord? Because if he's your Lord, watch this, he calls the shots. If he's your Lord, he calls the shots. Like, the shot being... How are you going to handle when a conversation has taken place and you're not willing to humble yourself? And he says, you better humble yourself. Are you, you, need to, you need to make some choices or decisions, but you don't even consult him. You don't even go to him and say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Because if, if you want both, if you want him to be your Lord, listen to me. You've got to determine that you've been bought with a price and you don't own you anymore. And that, that when I consult with him and, and I say, Lord, what do you want me to do? When he says and I sense that I'm having direction from my Lord, then ultimately I do what he asked me to what? To do. If I could have someone come up to the keyboard, I won't wrap up with this, this story about Jesus being the Lord. And I promise you I'm going to tell you this story. And I don't always get this right. This is just the one, one time I, I did I got it right. 
So I'm, 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 I'm in a hurry, and I stopped by a gas station, got some fuel. And, and how many of you, this, this, this really bothers me sometimes. You, they, they, have, they have the fuel things out there. You put fuel, and when you want a receipt, you push yes, but no receipt comes out because no paper's been put in there. So that happened. So I'm like, i got to go inside to get the receipt. So I'm walking inside, and as I'm walking towards the door, I see a guy sitting down on the left side of the door. I could tell by the way he was dressed that didn't have much, homeless. And, and immediately my escape was, I don't have any cash. I can't give him any cash, you know. It was my excuse, right? Then I kind of started thinking, being, being honest, being transparent with you, I don't really want to give him money because if he does, he's probably going to buy some more alcohol, drugs, whatever. So my hand hits the door, I open up the door, and I have, when I open the door, I have to look at him. And he looked at me. He didn't ask for money. He said, man, I'm hungry. Can you feed me? I I can't leave that man hungry. I can't do it. Yes, it was safe. You know, I checked stuff out. It was good. I said, man, just convenience store. (laughs) Not a whole lot in there. Do you like Benny Weenies and bread and chips? and Tell me what you want. It's in there. I'll get it for you. He said, yeah, tell me what he liked. Went there and even gave him a honey bun, stuff like that. Walked back out, set the bag down, opened the bag up. And I began to get the stuff out. So here you go, man. Here's some bread. And got you some mayonnaise. And got this stuff. And I said, hey, before I go, can I pray with you? He said, oh, I'd love that. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him. I got through and I stood up. When I stood up, he said, man, appreciate you. Thank you. I, I was really hungry. Thank you, for, thank you for taking the time to give me some food. So I looked over. When I looked back towards my truck, there was a young lady that was parked right on the side of my truck. And she'd been watching this the whole time. So when I walked back out to my truck, she said, hey, sir, could you come here? And I walked over there and she had tears in her eyes. She said, that was awesome. That was awesome. She said, that was a God deal, wasn't it? And I said, I just felt like I was supposed to do that for the guy. She said, that was a God deal, tears in her eyes. Do you know what that young lady saw? She saw what God was like. I don't know where she was in her faith, but that moment she looked because I know, and I'm not taking all the credit, because the Lord said, feed him. But he knew there was a much bigger thing happening than me just feeding him, which was important. There was a young lady over there that needed to see him and what he's really like. What is God saying? God is saying that the world needs to see him. The world is desperate. The world has got to see him. And you know what happens when the world begins to see him? When we allow God to be our friend, when we allow God to be our father, and we allow Jesus to be our Lord. You know what happens? His dream. His dream. His dream starts coming true. We're all the time asking God, God, help me with my dream. But when's the last time 
you said, God, I'll help you with yours.